ultimately the students of today are the leaders tomorrow and managers of the public lands. Uh, And so we need them educated on what the challenges are on those lands and the opportunities that they provide. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am Ted King. I am your host, and I thank you for joining me on another episode of King of the Ride podcast. So at last check, we are smack in the middle of the country in Spearfish, South Dakota, making our way west to east from California to New England. And the only potential hiccup along the route was coming immediately on the coattails of the fun time that we had in Spearfish, and that is the the traffic that looms large in Chicago. So I'm very happy to report that I cruise through Chicago, no problem. It's probably worth pointing out that that I can report I would be a terrible long-haul trucker as well. Anytime I see a tourist attraction or a welcome to so-and-so state, that seems like a really good reason to get out and stretch the legs. Anyway, it was a safe drive. It was a fun drive. It was a beautiful drive, and I made it to New England. I also made it Literally just in the nick of time, probably three minutes before the rolling out of the State 9 Racing TNT Tuesday Night Throwdown. I think the state of cycling is is in a very good place right there in Manchester, New Hampshire. If, as a testament, at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, they are rolling out a century. Not just your typical hour and a half of riding, but they were doing 100 miles that evening. The pace was high. I decided that after being vastly underslept for a week that I would join for 50% of a ride. It was a great 50 miles. Those guys were really fun and welcoming. And so thank you for allowing me to tag along. I do enjoy dropping into group rides. Um, It's certainly a true welcoming home the following day when I joined the Exeter Cycles Wednesday Night Worlds. Exeter Cycles was my first shop. That's where I got my first bike. I continue to go there quite regularly whenever I'm back in town. And man, oh man, I don't know what's in the water about the Exeter Cycles Wednesday Night Worlds, but it is, it to this day, it's the fastest, it's the most fun, it's the most well-orchestrated group ride that I've been in coast-to-coast. Just the, the ability to point things out, the ability to not be left-lane Larry, the ability to not approach the yellow line, the discipline has been instilled by JG, the founder of the ride, and to this day... If you've got good legs, the Exeter Cycles Wednesday Night Worlds is a great way to test out your fitness. Now, certainly, somehow in this move, there's an element to slowing down. Laura and I are moving east, California, to New England, but somehow, someway, there seems to be no sign of slowing down. Laura gets in this evening, I pick her up, and then in about 36 hours after that, we are going to go to Portugal. We're going to go with our great friends, great folks over at Ngamba. We're going to go to the north, the Porto region. I've ridden and raced all over Portugal, all over Europe. Had team training camps, but then oddly enough, I'm, I've only ever been in the southern part of Portugal, the Alentejo or the Faro area between camps and races. So it's always really fun to explore a new and undiscovered area to me. Um, Ngamba is awesome. It's the utmost in hospitality. They've become like a family to me, so it's always really nice to join them in their in their element. From there, come right back. Got tour across New England on the immediate coattails of that. So it's funny what started as as taking a page out of the 200 on 100 that I did with Tim Johnson riding clear across Vermont has turned into the Tour X New England. We ride six days, 600 miles clear across New England. It's everything I like about riding. It's recovering road, gravel, and mountain bike. It's sort of uh, 
just fun on two wheels, or in this case, six wheels, because we ride a whole lot of different bikes throughout the thing. From there, pressure in the tusher, trying to work that into the schedule. Burke Swindlehurst, former teammate, really great guy. He knows he knows that he has something special there in the tusher area of, of Utah. He's a legend. He's a climbing legend. He's created a really great race in Crusher, and I hope, hope that I can make it out to that. So clearly no shortage of great events, no shortage of fun on the horizon, and no signs of slowing down. And speaking of slowing down, we're going to do the opposite of that and jumpstart the actual purpose of today's podcast. I want to introduce our guest, Austin McKinnerney. Now, Austin is the president of NICA. We've talked about NICA quite a bit in our show's short history, more affectionately known as the High School Mountain Bike League. NICA stands for the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, NICA. And not to scare you away, we talk for nearly two hours over at the NICA office. We've condensed it here into a more approachable version. Austin and I have, have we actually cut the conversation short, but we could have talked for another two hours. I mean, the man is a wealth of information. He's so well-spoken. He comes from a previous life in natural resource management and public policy mediation, probably where he honed those speaking skills. And then he made a major life pivot. He's experienced the full spectrum of NICA and its importance. He was a high school mountain bike coach over at Berkeley. He became a board member and, you know, he rose the ranks to become president. And it's not a small operation. I think if you're not from a state that has NICA, there's sort of the impression that it's the high school league out in California. There are 22 states that are under the umbrella of NICA. This is our biggest developer of cycling in America. They're, they're feeding kids. They've had over 30,000 kids go through the program, and it's not just churning through for the sake of talent. And certainly finding talent is important, but they're making incredibly good people. They're making good stewards for cycling. They're making good stewards for trail maintenance. It's amazing. They're great kids. They're great teammates, and they're really good people. So I've had the good fortune of attending a couple team rides, a couple fundraisers and banquets for NICA, and honestly, it just it still is nothing but promise for me about our future and the future of cycling. I really enjoy our conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So please welcome to the next episode of King of the Ride podcast with Austin McKinnery. So Again, let's take a bigger step back. NICA, National Interscholastic Cycling Association, um, is the largest youth cycling program in the United States. Um, I'm a huge fan of your hashtag, more kids on bikes, which really is the take home message. So, you know, I think there are going to be plenty of people who have never heard of NICA, uh, you know, explore the numbers, the growth. I mean, the growth from, from the Initial onset uh, when it was founded in 2009 through the present, and especially 2012 through the present, is staggering. Um, it is it's amazing how many kids are getting on bikes. Yeah, it <laughs> sort of blows my mind every day uh-huh. I think about it. And I've sure. been around since the early days. You know, you can see the picture on my wall here, Ted, of yep. the Berkeley High team starting in 2005. Uh, and you know, at that time we had like oh. 250 kids in the NorCal league. Um, Where they compete, like when when your friend at the high school starts the team, 
are they competing with other teams? Or are well, they- so back then, um, the NorCal League first started, there were no high school races. They were literally going to the local mountain bike races right. and asking, hey, can you add a high school category in? Sure. And the promoter was like, sure, you got 40 kids that want to pay me some reg fee? Yeah. Fine, I'll add a high school category at the end. And so that's the way it started. And after three years, the high schoolers themselves said, you know what, this isn't so cool. There's all these adults and it just doesn't have a vibe that's feels good. And so that's mm-hmm. when Matt said, you know what? I got to put on a race series. It's only open to high school students. So he did that in 2001 and he started his first uh, race series and it was small and it started to grow organically within the NorCal region. And then, um, you know, after a couple of years of doing that, um, and I was involved at the time and on the NorCal board of directors, um, we said, Hey, I think we can replicate this. And we got some money through a family foundation that enabled us to go to Southern California and try to replicate what we hmm. had done in NorCal. That was the SoCal league launch and they just finished their 10th season. Wow. So 10 years ago, we experimented with the SoCal League and got that going. And then a year after that was the Colorado League. And so we had three leagues running and it was those after Colorado's first year and successful launch, we said, you know what? It's no longer just the NorCal League. We were operating under a nonprofit license that was the NorCal League, but we were operating in two different states at the time. So that was the impetus for let's create a national program. So in 2009, NICA was launched and incorporated as a national nonprofit hmm. with the goal of getting um, more, more kids on bikes. Um, and if you, you know, listeners here, if you haven't been to a, a NICA yeah. high school race, I encourage you to check it out because if you go and you've been to a lot of races, you will be blown away with the level of organization, the number of volunteers that we have involved. It's uh, it's an event quite unlike anything you've been to. You, Ted, you've yeah. been to the biggest races in the world and been in, so you know what the hoopla around Tour sure. de France or the Giro is. We've created that kind of feeling for the high school athlete mm-hmm. uh, at their events, and and it's exciting. It becomes a um, a big wholesome event for the entire community like so we support the and this will be an interesting conversation too the sf comp the san francisco composite team which is as exactly as it sounds the compilation composition of a bunch of individuals from different high schools throughout the city and they race under sf comp so i i stay apprised of them i'm friends with their coach sarah headley um and you know they they descend on a whole weekend of events with one race at the culmination of the event but it's families it's coaches it's a camp out it's their buddies it's lollapalooza it's, it's on a, a basically festival. bike it, totally. it's exactly what it is and you know if you read at the race report from last weekend's california state championship event where they had 900 high school students participate riders came from all across the state that's insane and awesome. they camped out a bunch of people were camping saturday night they do the pre-ride on saturday the course is open and then there's, you know, there was music that night and a family friendly barbecue. And then Sunday was race day. There was a band playing in the middle of the feed zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were little kids out there playing on instruments. It literally served all sorts of needs for families to engage. We had, you know, a hundred volunteers, which are pre- predominantly parents or relatives of the athletes. 
So it really has a community feeling to it. And the athletes were just thrilled to be able to race. And we, you know, the course markings up, it looks like a full on professional race. And, and I think it adds to the excitement of being in it. And just, if you follow on social media, you see the posts that students are, are making about their experience, and especially kids that have been involved on their team for all four years of high school sure. as they graduate they're really emotional about it. You know, you figure after four years of being on a team, the relationships that have been built um, are their strongest relationships in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, you know, to see, you know, looking back, the, the head coach of Berkeley High right now, uh, Nick Hobertomic, was a student on the team <laughs> when I was the coach. Oh, that's incredible. And now he has gone to college. He's come back. He's the service manager at Mike's Bikes here in Berkeley, yep. and he's the head coach. And coaching alongside with him is Elise, a woman he met when he was on the team, and now they're married. <laughs> and so we're that's seeing awesome. the full circle sure. come around, and that's in our oldest league. And so I'm really excited for the potential. Mm-hmm. Now, with all these new leagues that we have, leagues that are only two, three, four years old, fast forward 10 years from sure. now. And that kind of experience is going to be replicated across the country. So the future is looking incredibly bright for cycling in the United States. And more importantly, for the, the, the participants in those leagues. I mean, right now, you know, this past year, we had a little over almost 15,000 students participating. And that number is snowballing. We're growing to at over 30% a year mm-hmm. in ridership. Um, so do the math. I'm taking the long-term look at this. You know, if we've been able to go from 2009 to now, and we've done the analysis, we've had almost 40,000 people participate since we launched, uh, (laughs) 10 years from now, that number will continue to escalate. Um, and that's really good. I think in the long term, and Um, I think so much, you know, there's a lot of bad news about car traffic relationship and, and parents are hesitant to put their kids out on roads, open roads. I think that's one of the coolest charms of high school mountain biking. It's like you pair up your, your child with their friends and a cool coach and they're going off into the woods and, and playing around. Like, I think the, the, yeah, it's a throwback. It's, it's a throwback, but it's also, um, an opportunity for students to gain confidence and independence outside of the school grounds, right? All the other sports for the most part are held on campus Mm -hmm. in a built environment, a stadium or a basketball court or whatever it is. Our sport forces you to go outside of campus to actually get the trails. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Berkeley, it's a half hour road ride to even get to a trailhead. And so you need to learn under the guide of your coach how to navigate through those streets, do it safely, respect traffic laws, mm-hmm. and and then actually get to the trailhead. So there's a lot going on there. And if kids can gain the skills and confidence and navigation abilities to do all that, sure. that, that leads to, I think, confidence that's going to help them off the bike yeah. in all sorts of ways. I did the 545 Cold Pantol, which is the you know monthly race up Mount Tam, bunch right. of hard chargers start in the city. They were all across the bridge, they race up. And I, there were three young looking individuals yeah. on the ride. And I'm like, man, these guys are hard charging. And yeah. got to the top and Sarah Headley, my friend who's a coach of SF yeah. comp. She's like, yeah, those are three of the high schoolers. So 
it, it shows their dedication. It shows their passion. It shows their interest. It shows their desire for fitness. It shows their interest in racing. Um, and every time I've been to a handful of NICA events, every time I interact with the kids, you can tell that they are, um, you know, sort of a chicken and egg. Like they're, they're motivated by the sport. It, it allows them to seek independence and yet maybe they're independent from, from the onset. Uh, you know, yeah, it's a huge character building. A little bit of both. I mean, I, and you've mentioned Sarah a couple of times, SF comp coach. I mean, she is a, a, perfect example of what we hope for in a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the pleasure of hanging out with her team last weekend at the state championship and watching her interact with the students afterwards. And the kinds of questions she was asking and, and the support that she was giving the students is ultimately what we seek in a NICA licensed coach. Um, and that's someone who cares about their students, irrespective of their race result. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a difference if they're last or if they're winning a race. She treats them equally and she cares about them. And, and I think that's a missing piece um, or something that's seriously lacking in today's modern society is adults that care about young kids and who give them the time and energy to help them figure things out. Sure. And, and we need more than just parents playing that role. And so my experience as the head coach of Berkeley, I saw that firsthand where there were kids that were struggling a little bit in school, trying to figure out their place in life and needed some other adults to provide them a little bit of mentorship. Mm-hmm. And the relationships that I formed with some of those high schoolers has carried over now and they're in their late twenties. And when they come back into town, they still reach out to me. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this many times from other coaches around the country that say, you know, the, the effect that I've had on these students has been profound and their families have told me that it helped them figure out what to do as a young adult. Sure. And we need that as a society. I mean, there's too many things pulling on kids. So if we can give them something and ultimately the bike is that tool Mm -hmm. that we're using to help kids develop strong mind, body, and character so they can be successful. Five core values right that there. Exactly Equality, right. Equality, inclusivity, strong, strong mind, strong body, strong character. Um, related. So I, I found the sport of cycling in college. My older brother, he was part of a prep school uh, back in New Hampshire that had a cycling team. And the way younger brothers gravitate to their older brother's sports, I found cycling uh, as a college student. And you know, at that age, you know, early 20s, you are a little bit more disciplined and uh in life and and i found the bicycle to be incredible because it it was that discipline between athletics and academics you know i it made me forge the time to study so that i could get the time to go train and you know i segue that to a career it's interesting um having that mentor role at a slightly younger age in your teens where you're you know those formidable years um and sarah to her credit she's an incredible human being she's uh a collegiate cyclist herself. She's also a former pro, European former pro. So she's got the chops. I mean, the girls for sure. <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think collegiate cycling is the greatest thing on planet earth. That was my introduction and it has that great level of camaraderie. It's that great level of fun and excitement. It sort of has hard charging as you want to be, or as relaxed as you want to be. It's a great way to get away for the weekend. I think collegiate cycling is wonderful. 
you know, we're basically with Nika backtracking four years and putting these kids on a track that, yeah. that, um, I think is, you know, the greatest thing since two wheels. <laughs> so, I mean, at the rate you're growing, how does this, it's a very long winded question. We have a governing body here in the United States, USAC. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're independent. Correct. Of yep. USAC, which is wonderful potentially i mean what's what is that relationship how do we so usa cycling is the the national federation uh for cycling they pick who goes to the olympics for for us um, they never picked me yeah <laughs> I did well, that represent. might have been an oversight <laughs> they might want to revisit that no. i did one world championships yeah. <laughs> no, usac was very good to me right Carry so on. yeah usac does play a role for sure on the elite side of the sport um a lot of people don't realize this. When we first started NorCal, um, we were sanctioned under USA Cycling. Hmm. Um, so to participate as a student, you had to have a USA Cycling license. And we did all our insurance through them. And we managed that for a couple of years. And uh, I was actually the Western Regional Development Camp Manager for two years for the mountain bike camps, mm-hmm. uh, which was part of their screening process to find up and coming talented riders and put them into the quote pipeline. And so we did that. But what happened back then, and this was under a different era and a different leadership at the helm at USA Cycling, um, was that we asked for basically profit sharing in the license because we needed to raise money and they were not interested in that conversation Mm -hmm. at all. And so it got to a point where we kept growing and we're like, well, these are the biggest junior fields ever in mountain biking and we're not getting any money out of it. We can't, can't continue to do this. So we made a conscious choice to uh, split from them and do our own licensing and create our own insurance. And so we replicated what they were providing and adding to it. And so that's when we parted ways mm-hmm. and they weren't very excited about that. Um, and that was what year? Oh, uh, this would have had to have been about 2006, seven, which they must really be regretting looking at your numbers now because 2006, seven were relatively few compared to the 30,000. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> if you talk to folks there, they probably would have said well, they, we Whoops. should have rethought that. Sure. Um, we, We've had over 10,000 adults go through our coach yeah. licensing program. So they also manage a coach registration program. Mm-hmm. We have created our own. And, um, and, and, and I, I think it's unfortunate. That was a missed opportunity for USA Cycling to take some leadership mm-hmm. with this. But it ultimately, uh, the, the, the graphic that you can think about is a pyramid. They focus on the tip of that pyramid, and yep. that's where all that energy was spinning. We were down at the base of that pyramid, and we were building a base. And And what happens when you do that is the base of that pyramid gets wider, mm-hmm. and some number of talented cyclists will make their way up to the top. So the point of our pyramid right now is bigger than it's ever been on the junior categories. Sure. And you're seeing that in the results in racing with the number of Nike grads going on and doing great things. But ultimately that's not what our goal is. It's sure. not to create the next nat- world champion. I think it will be a natural byproduct of what we're doing, um, but we're creating a lot more cyclists. And so right now um, to sort of get to the, the, the end of your question about USA cycling, um, we have a good working relationship with them, but there's no formal uh, arrangement. Um, 
We know, um, looking at the, the riders that are being selected to represent Team USA on the mountain bike, they're predominantly NICA students mm-hmm. or NICA grads. Um, and I'm glad that we're creating an atmosphere where students can get the experience that they need so that they can go represent this country and be competitive and do a good job at it. Um, and that's great. Um, but we don't have an actual formal program in place right now. Um, and we'll have to see how the future goes. I mean, ultimately, our students, when they turn 18 and they graduate high school, they're no longer a Nike athlete. And if they right. want to continue right, right, racing right. bikes in this country, um, they will either do it in a USAC sanctioned event or they'll go off and, and do non-sanctioned events. And we're seeing the growth in non-sanctioned events. They're huge. Huge. And so we're creating more cyclists. And I think your point about collegiate, that's a huge opportunity. Collegiate cycling is managed by USA Cycling. We're seeing more collegiate cyclists right now than ever before. Mm-hmm. And that's predominantly because all these kids are graduating out of NICA and they're going on 85% of our graduates report that they go on to college mm-hmm. and 99% of our graduates consider themselves lifelong cyclists. Oh, that's huge. So with that those kind simple. of numbers, yeah. there's a huge opportunity in collegiate cycling right now to improve it yep. and to strengthen it. Uh, and I think that falls on the shoulders of USAC right now. Yeah. And, and you know, the purpose of this 10 minute segment is not to, to crap on USAC because they have, they've done some great things. They've in the past made a handful of mistakes, I think, or, and, and we all have, to, and I'm not crapping on so, them at all either. Right, yeah. right. Uh, I mean, it, you know, you, one thing that they're doing well now, I think is offering insurance to what would previously be an unsanctioned event. So these mass start events, uh, the gravel rides, yes. they're, they're getting big into fondos and hats off to them to, to figure out a way to be involved. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more that collegiate cycling is, eh, and it's just such a great stepping stone. A lot of most, what, probably mm-hmm. 99.9% of people will go to college and not have athletics, even if they were high school athletes. Right. Collegiate cycling is, is that yeah, especially the club, you know, it's a, it's, and that's, you asked about my origin story. You know, I didn't do a high school sport because I tried out for the basketball team and I didn't make the cut. Mm-hmm. So right there, 10th grade being told you're not good enough. Sure. Boom. I'm out. I was like a second class high school student. I wasn't an athlete. Um, ultimately I got into speech and debate and that probably worked out in the long run better, (laughs) but, but I wasn't an athlete and I missed out on that opportunity. And I've seen that so many times with NICA athletes who, for whatever reason, they're not doing the traditional sports and yet they find cycling. And next thing you know, they're part of a club. They've got 20 friends. I heard a kid say this last week, and I thought it was really interesting as he wrapping up the, the race season. He said, you know, these are my best friends. And I wouldn't have known or met any of these people if it wasn't for cycling. And so that person got connected into a club at their school. And now that is their peer group. And that's really healthy. Kids oh, need so. to be part of something. They need to be accepted. And I think ultimately, you know, we've seen an insane amount of high school shootings Mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. And one of the common threads that I hear in the reports is that the kid who does the shooting was alienated. They were not part of something. Mm -hmm. They were a loner. Mm -hmm. They kept to themselves. That's a lot of pinup aggression and confusion. And so if we, through cycling, can provide a space 
for kids to be accepted and to be comfortable and to find themselves, <laughs> that's powerful. And Incredibly. if it leads to things that are good for them and keeps them out of trouble, mm-hmm. more, <laughs> yeah. more power to that. Win, 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 win. win. And so, you know, and I, I, I want to stress this point every time I get the chance. People focus on our races. That's where the cool photographs come from, all this stuff. But we are not a race organization. We put on a race series. We're a youth development program. We're using cycling to give kids opportunities and coaches and adults to become coaches an opportunity to be part of a community. Mm -hmm. And that community rides bikes and some of them really fast and really great. But ultimately, it's to build that strong mind and body and character so that you can be successful on and off the bike. And we have to, we have to find ways to do that in this this world. Oh, it's so cool. So 23 chapters nationwide, um, being a new Englander at heart and about to move back to new England. Um, I'm curious, you said there's a lot of homework that is involved to, to create a league. So, you know, what, how does one develop a league if we look yeah. at New England in general? Because collegiate cycling in New England, I think, is one of the greatest regions because the, the geography is so sh- short. Yeah, that, small. it's really the East Coast has that in its favor compared to the West Coast. The distances are so huge on the West Coast that, you know, driving from one side of the California to the other side is a 12 <laughs> hour trip sure. or something. Whereas in you drive 12 hours from Maine. What you're, you're in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> you've crossed, I've done it. You're actually cro- in about Asheville, North Carolina. Right? Cause I used to live in, okay. I drive home from there. When you cross a dozen States. So, so the, the geography is different and you, you, Ted's looking over his shoulder at a map of the United States that I have on the wall here for this exact reason. I stare at this country and think about where do we have holes? Um, and where are there opportunities? Our goal at NICA is to provide every American teenager the opportunity to to participate in interscholastic cycling and so we're a long ways from doing that there are huge gaps uh in exposure to nica programming right now even within states that we currently have leagues in california the central valley bakersfield fresno we do not have a lot of participants um in those areas and some of that's the there's just the lack of trails the lack of resources um, you know, biking's a gear intensive sport. And so it, it's challenging sure. in some communities. And I mean, we could talk exclusively, we could talk for two hours yeah. about what it would t- two weeks about yeah. what it takes to start a league. What does it take? Does it take one team, a dozen teams? So right now, the process that we use is, um, that it, it takes a, a core committed individual, someone in, the state. And this is how every one of our leagues has been formed. Someone comes forward and says, I've seen, I've heard about NICA. I'm interested. So we have a series of webinars that are pre-recorded. People can watch them. And it goes through what it means to be a NICA league and what are the steps that would need to be taken at the local level to um, come forward. And so there's a, a bid process. So the folks, uh, and we just went through this with those three states that I mentioned, Maryland, Oregon, and West Virginia. So individuals in each state rallied a couple friends together. They watched these webinars. They had conversations with us. They prepared a written document, which answered some questions about what the state of cycling is in their state, how many schools there are, what's the population, demographics, uh, and then what resources are they going to bring forward? We review those bids on an annual basis. And based on the resources that we have, 
we choose um, mm-hmm. two to three. Um, and three's been on the, the, the stretch goal of ours. And we've been able to do it um, because of the growing resources that we've had and the staff capacity that we have to help with people. And so as our network grows, we obviously have more leagues that are up and running and people that are running those leagues become the trainers for these new regions. And so if, if we're cur- if the state that you're in currently doesn't have a Nike league and you're interested, you got to check us out on the website, you know, www.nationalmtb.org. And there's information there or send us an email info at nationalmtb.org. And we'll start a conversation with you about what, what it takes. Um, now, even if there isn't a league in your, your state, there's nothing holding you back from going through the coach licensing program right mm-hmm. now and creating what we call an independent or indie team. Um, and we have some teams around the country where adults have gone through the training. They've got some high school kids together and they're going on bike rides. And by doing that, then the coach is now trained and they're insured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they got some protection by going through the program, by going through the coach licensing program. Wow. And, and so they can just go do rides or they can go to local events and ride as a club in that event. Uh, and that we hope is sort of planting seeds. And so those kids, and this is what happened in Berkeley. There was a couple kids and they started saying, well, where are the other kids? And they started yeah. talking. And next thing you know, El Cerrito, the neighboring town formed a team and it really started to grow from the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now, you know, there's like 60 high schools in the Bay area here. Right. Or more. Oh, it's so cool. You know, and so you got to take small steps. You don't just year one have a boom, a thousand students in your league. Some of our leagues have started very small, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 kids, and then they see growth. They literally double from year one to year two. Sure. And now we have Utah that has over 3,000 students in one league. Uh, That's wild. (laughs) uh, And now we've got the opposite end of like, not how do we attract kids? How do we deal with this massive growth? Right. Uh, and that's a reality that we're, we're starting to face about how do we hold events where there's a thousand participants and then mom and dad and grandpas are there and grandmas. And next thing you know, you have 4,000 people descending on a public facility and yeah. there aren't enough porta potties. There aren't, you know, parking. So that's a reality that we're struggling with right now as an organization and, and how to hold events and what's the look and feel of these events. Sure. Which is. You know, I had two questions. What are your what are your roadblocks and what are you excited about? Your roadblock is that you're too successful and you've gone on, you know, basically for a half hour. The future is so strong, which is awesome. Um so we are in the NICA head office. Um it's a scarce crew today, but all of a sudden done, if you had everybody here, how many how many occupied desks? Fifteen full time employees. Uh, spread around the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is in the Berkeley headquarters, but we also have some staff out of North Carolina, uh, Idaho, uh, and New Jersey because, you know, our, faci- our programs are all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so we have a, some remote employees that live out of suitcases and do training and both for the coaches as well as race staff. But yeah, we have 15 employees on payroll. Um, we just, you know, wrapped up our tax season and I think there were like 70 individuals that received 1099 forms. Wow. So they were part-time contractors. So this is a pretty big and growing operation. And honestly, I walk out into the office some days when everyone's here and I look around, I'm like, 
oh my God, what are all these yeah. people doing here? <laughs> What's going on? Who's in charge? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had no idea what to expect. It's a super fun office. I mean, there's knickknacks and hats and helmets and yeah. bottles and pictures absolutely everywhere. The picture collage is outstanding. You have the office dog. You've got a great kitchen. Yeah. You got ping pong table and foosball. I mean, it's it's clear that you promote fun and you promote, you know, the stoke in the sport. Um, so, yeah, I've been... I've had nothing but great experiences. I have two quick stories because Nike has been involved in my life indirectly. Uh, and I didn't realize it until I was taking a little bit of inventory here. November 10th. Nope. Sorry. November 6, 2010. I was hanging out with Lucas user who I believe we were teammates on the national team. He was part of the net, uh, Nike program. So he's a Nike graduate, yeah. uh, former pro himself, NorCal individual. And I was, in between Cervelo test team and liquid gas. And I came out here to train for a couple weeks. I was in Northern California, Napa, his hometown. And he's like, Hey man, you got to come to the NICA awards banquet. So I went to the awards banquet in 2010, which is my first introduction to it. And I was like, Holy cow, this place is huge. It was the first time I saw Gary Fisher. I was like, man, California is it. This is awesome. And then more recently on January 30th, which I can remember because that's the day before my birthday, which is also the day that I met my now wife at the annual awards banquet here in Berkeley, California. That was 2016 with the 2015 awards banquet. Um, another huge event. It was awesome. It was, you know, bringing in uh, coaches, athletes, people who had, who had won awards from around the country. Super cool to see. You guys are absolutely freaking crushing it. <laughs> well, thank you. Those award banquets are a real highlight. And, um, you know, to be able to recognize student coaches and volunteers and supporters for what they're doing and what they're enabling us to do is a highlight of my job. And um, unfortunately, we have not held that banquet the last two years because of just resource constraints. We are giving the awards out, mm -hmm. however, because those awards mean a lot to the recipients. And it's important that we um, do storytelling and share the, the experiences. And some of those awards are amazing. The Extraordinary Courage Award, which is, uh, you know, each award's identified with an individual sponsor of ours. And so that award is tied with Goo Energy. And, and to, to be able to showcase what, what some students persevere through and how cycling helps them is fantastic. And I, and I, you know, really want to bring attention to our award recipients. Um, cause they, they really, while they're sort of rise to the top for every award we give, literally we had 400 nominations huh. this year wow. for 11 awards that we're giving out. And that will continue to be a challenge as, as our numbers grow, but they're great experiences. Um, and uh, I'm glad you got to see those. Uh, I, I thought you were going to, in your, your recent stories, I, I was at a, a recent grasshopper where uh, one of the Berkeley kids, Sandy Florin, Whoa. actually uh, took the win from you. Yeah. And it, and it was the first I'll bring that one up too. It was the first time uh -huh. that a high school graduate uh, took a win at a grasshopper. Oh, that's and huge. It didn't you know, go unnoticed by me. Cause that Sandy was on the team at Berkeley when I was the coach. Okay. And, and he's a good example of what cycling can do. Here's a kid that showed up on ninth grade. Um, no offense, Sandy, but a little overweight, um, <laughs> not really a, a cyclist. Uh -huh. Um, and just, uh, you know, just a little challenging fast forward. 
He's in Europe right now, yeah. racing the World Cup. He's at the World Cup on mountain bike. He's been on one of two U23 riders selected to represent the U.S. team. Uh, he won the Grasshopper. Um, he's racing at an extremely high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his whole family has become sure. a biking family. His dad now coaches with Berkeley High. It's incredible. And his dad has told me that it was the experience on the Berkeley High team that really transformed his family and the health of the family, and now they're a biking family. And so that I think is a huge success story about what cycling and the way we deliver it can do for individuals and for families. Um, Yes, we'll relive that right now. So excellent segue because the the first podcast I did was with Miguel Crawford, the founder of the Grasshoppers. Um, So it was probably two months ago, we were at Super Sweetwater, the grasshoppers are wonderful events, mass start, and, you know, over a handful of miles and climbs, you're down to whatever group you're supposed to be in. Um, and I'm racing with Sandy and one other uh, really elite, fast dude on Mike's bikes, and we end up dropping him. So we're going up the final climb, Coleman Valley. It's been featured in Tour California many times, and we both, you know, I'm feeling him out, and I'm, I, I look at him, and, you know, Sandy is a kid. He, I think now, is probably 20 years old. He just old. finished his first year of college. He's right. So he's 19 or 20 years old. And so once I realized that he's racing for Bear Devo, which is a very elite national team, but located here in the area, I'm like, you know what? I can beat him. Like, he's not a 16-year-old kid. I'm going to feel totally fine beating him. And it, it, we both know roughly where the finish line is, but not exactly. And then uh, we around a corner, and there's a finish line, and he absolutely dusts me in the sprint. So <laughs> he Sandy surged. won fair and square. Um, yeah, he was. that was super cool to see. Really nice kid, humble. But and, it was a great day for me because he we carpooled up to the race together. That's right. Yeah, so we drove together, yeah. and I remember when we parked and we saw you kidding up at your car, and he's like, "Wow, look, there's Ted King! Oh uh, my god!" And I was like, "Well, Sandy," I said, "I, I think you're going to be riding with him today," and he's like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know. That guy's at another level." Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty exciting to to see that. And for me, I mean, did I had, he did he give you the bottle of wine? You win a bottle of wine. So, and I thought he was going to gift it to me on the podium. And he's like, no, I'm going to give it to Austin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did. Um, yeah. And uh, he man. said that the, the promoters didn't want to give it to him because he wasn't old enough. And so they gave it to me. Yeah. Um, but then I gave it back to him so he could take it to his parents. Oh, um, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was a, a moment of feeling really good. It was like, wow, our programs, you know, giving opportunities for students like Sandy to really rise and find a sport that they're now living. Sure. Uh, and that's really cool. And oh, absolutely. Awesome. So name Kate Courtney. Kate is obviously, she just took 10th at the elite women world cup last weekend, U 23 national champion. Um, you could probably bet on her as an Olympic hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's a real standout. She raced in NorCal, which has been super cool for me to follow very tangentially because, uh, I think she and Leah Davison were great friends and I went to college with Leah and Leah and I were, co-collegiate buddies and you know she right absolutely hard charger so oh, yeah, yeah the so two of them are great there, there's a bunch of other right i mean right now the um uh team action hagen's berman which is the axel Merckx mm-hmm. basically development team i think there's five nika grads on that team sean bennett just took a second and sixth place in tour de california stages yep. he grew up here he went to el cerrito high raced in NorCal. He comes from a long bunch of brothers that all race uh, at a high level. And so he's a standout. Edward Anderson, kid out of Virginia League. Um, he's racing in Europe on that same team. 
Uh, yeah, there's Blevins. A, Blevins. I mean, what he does, he, he's a without prodigy. a number on his. Yeah, he he should be a professional trials writer. He's incredible. Yeah, if you ever watch that video of him bunny hopping up a staircase on yeah. his cross bike, so he's racing on the road. He can win a road stage or a mountain bike race any day. So he's out of Colorado League. Um, you've got the the Cliff Pro Team, uh, which is pretty much the premier women's mountain bike team in the world. Uh, two of their riders are Nike grads, Haley Batten out of Utah, Hannah Ray Finchamp, SoCal. Um, those girls are, are racing at the top level of the sport on the, the best supported women's team right now. Um, the, and that's just skimming the surface. Sure, so those are standouts. And there's kids that I have, I call them kids. They're like young twenties now. I, mean, I have relationships with them. Um, and, and seeing them going on, uh, you're going to see more of that, um, for sure. Uh, and it's exciting that the sport is now in this country is being energized. And, you know, when I embraced mountain bikes, um, just as an amateur in the early, um, two thousands, um, you know, there, there were some big races around here where you get 400, like grasshopper type sure. turnouts. Then it plunked huge drop. And I think the resurgence is happening now. Uh, and especially with the events that are just fun. Absolutely. Know? Nailed it. Yeah. The, the mass start events, the hoppers, the grand fondos, these, these events that stoke fun from the beginning is the greatest thing, uh, on two wheels. And that's, I think that existed in a past life on the roadside and, and road cycling is reinventing itself, but mountain is doing it. Nika is doing it. Um, yeah. Mountain biking is definitely seeing a resurgence, which is super cool. Yeah. So you, you know, you asked a little bit about some of the challenges, you know, uh, I just want to touch on that in that, um, yeah, our growth has been phenomenal and coming with that growth is a, is a challenge for us Re realize that there is no rule book. There's no sort of manual on how do you create a new interscholastic sport? We're, you know, one of my employees here and colleagues has made the analogy that we're both simultaneously flying a plane while we're trying to build it. And, <laughs> and I think that's fair. Yeah. It's an accurate description. So we make mistakes. We're trying to figure out a model of sponsorship between the national level and our regional leagues. That's a huge challenge. Um, I also touched on the fact that, you know, where do you hold a thousand rider events? You know, public lands in California is super challenging. And the NorCal and SoCal leagues both struggle to find venues to, to host their events. Land access is a big deal. So that's another challenge. Uh, and then just building the resources, you know, we're, we've sort of plucked the, the low hanging fruit, so to speak, in terms of where leagues are and where teams are within those leagues. We need to do a lot more to get kids that have never had the opportunity to ride mm -hmm. the, the, the opportunity. And, and that, doesn't come easy. I mean, getting a bike, getting a helmet, getting shoes, getting a place to ride. I mean, there's huge parts of LA that don't have teams because there's no trails within an hour and a half drive. Yeah. So what do we do? I don't have the answer, but I feel like I've got the right collection of people now that are paying attention and are interested in helping solve those questions. But we're understaffed. We could be doing more. It comes down to money yep. and, and getting yep. support. And building support from beyond just the bike industry. And I 
huge kudos to the brands who have stayed with us and have supported us because they, with their visionary leaders, have have seen what the potential is. You know, and and, and I, you know, I I, I really pat. Uh, John Burke at Track Bikes in particular for telling me, he's like, you need to be bigger than high school golf. And he's <laughs> like, you can pass that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and he, and, and as a brand, he's saying, and we're going to help you. Sure. And we're not just going to give you money. We're going to help you behind the scenes, like with your business practices and, and help you as an organization grow into the capacity that you need to have so that you can deliver on this. And, and it takes people like that to stand behind us to say, hey, we want to help. And we're not just expecting you to sell our widgets. You know, sure. we're, we're really believing this for the right reasons. And, and there's a handful of companies that are really there. You mentioned Lucas. It's great to have him working at Cliff Bar now. Mm -hmm. Cliff Bar was our first ever supporter of the Berkeley High team way back. And they have stayed involved every year. And it's because the owners of that company believe in cycling mm -hmm. and they want to see opportunities for kids to, to experience cycling the way that they experienced it. And, you know, they created a women's pro team because women sure. weren't getting that opportunity. Yep, and now yep, it's yep. the dominant women's mountain bike team. And we got two of our grads on that team. That's awesome. And we need more visionary leaders uh, within companies to step forward and say, Hey, how can we get involved? How can we help you? Um, and so we're working right now to try to broaden the, the network of support for our efforts to go way beyond just the, the bike brands. Mm -hmm. um, so got to keep getting the word out. No, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's so impactful. It's it's introducing individuals to you know a sport that's going to transform their lives in only a positive way to have that interaction with those companies. So yeah, it's very indirect uh, support. But it's also putting a stamp on it. It is very direct support as well. Um, oh, it's fascinating. The whole, I, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how sponsorship works for you guys. It's complicated and um, and it has its ups and downs. I mean, we've got a, a good group of supporters and I encourage folks listening to this to check out on our website. You know, I'm not going to list them all here. There's a fair, a good number of, of, of supporters that have been behind us for years. And, and they do it because one, they see the growth. They, they know it's good for cycling. And if you create lifelong cyclists, which we're doing, starting when they're 14, mm -hmm. think of all the years ahead of them of, of purchasing power that's there. You know, we did a cert, we do a survey every year where we ask families, coaches, and students a bunch of questions. And one of them was, you know, are you spending money at your local bike shops? Mm -hmm. And if so, how much? And on average, the survey tells us that um, our participants are spending $1,500 a year on bike related gear mm -hmm. um, at their local shops. And so do the math. Sure. That, that's $30 million on our membership um, on average. So it could be higher, um, could be a little lower too, but that's a lot of money that's getting spent in the bike space mm -hmm. from NICA participants. And that's only at our current ridership. Um, if we keep growing at our 30 35% growth year over year, it's not too long before one, we pass golf as a, <laughs> as a high school sport. Sure hope so. um, but uh, we also just create a lot of cyclists out there and ultimately, if their racing bikes is not 
really the end goal here, but if they're riding their bikes and biking's part of their life, mm-hmm. I think that can lead to really good things. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Wrapping things up. We're going to do three bullet point questions and you can answer them in any level of involvement as you'd like. Number one, your favorite place you have ever ridden a bike. Number two, the number one place you would like to ride a bike. And number three, living or otherwise, who is one person you would like to ride a bike with? Those are great questions. I think I start with number two. I'm fascinated. Oh, it's a, it's a toss up. I want to ride bikes in British Columbia, mountain bikes. Beautiful. Uh, never been up there, Revelstoke and some of those areas. You, all you have to do is pick up a mountain bike magazine and it's a pretty sure. good chance there's a picture Probably of undercover. someone riding there. Um, and New Zealand. I mean, yeah. those two are never been to either one of those. And I'm a mountain biker at my core and I, I got to go to both of those. So I answered with two places. Um, uh, number one. That's also a toss up. I've been really fortunate to be able to ride in a lot of places in the United States, wherever we have a league, I've done some riding Awesome, and there's some pretty amazing riding in this country. Fact. Um, a lot of hidden magic oh, roads and a lot of places where people incredible. don't think of, you know, everyone talks about, Oh, Colorado, Utah, California. I've done some phenomenal riding in Arkansas, mm-hmm. Minnesota, mm-hmm. Wisconsin. I think there's gyms everywhere. And the key is to make friends with people in these communities. Yeah. Uh, and, and they'll, they'll take you to the secret stashes. And, totally. and, and so, you know, with that said, um, I've had phenomenal, uh, experiences touring by bike with my wife and we've ridden in a lot of places together. Um, we had a really great time in the the mid Pyrenees in Spain along the Spanish French border. Uh, we did two week mountain bike trip there, um, self supported, and that was great. Some of the old world European places give you not only fun riding, but to be able to ride into a 12th century village mm-hmm. and uh, and see the architecture and culture. Um, that's hard. It just doesn't exist in the United States. Oh, it's magic, right? So, a couple of centuries history over yeah, us. Yeah. And so yeah, riding yeah. in that area was really fantastic. That's sort of on the top of my, uh, memories. Um, and then your third question about who, who would I like to ride with? Wow. That's that, a hard one. That's a tough one. Really tough one. Um, you know, um, <laughs> Uh, I don't, there isn't a person that is just like in my head that I've always wanted to ride with. Um, but, uh, one that comes to mind right now, um, is I've, I really wanted to do, um, the, the ride with Rebecca Rush, uh, in Vietnam and Laos. Oh man. Yeah. Um, she's invited me on sure. that trip a couple times. And if wow. you haven't seen blood road, her mm-hmm. documentary, it's phenomenal, mm-hmm. super well done, and tells an amazing story. So I encourage uh, listeners to check that movie out. And since then, she's gone on and has is, is done some private tours uh, on parts of the Ho Chi Minh Trail. No kidding. And I've missed out on on the first two of those. And I think she's trying to get a third together. And so I, I'd love to do that ride with her. She's an amazing individual. And that's a good combination of two. A place you'd like to ride and with whom you'd yeah, like to yes. do it. Nailed it. That was a two for one. Um, 
No, that's a, it is a great documentary. Highly recommended. Um, I've done RPI. That's where I thought you were going initially to go ride RPI. I've done that. Awesome. Awesome. Labor Day weekend. Super cool. Yes. And it it gets to your point about that event's grown from the first year, which had like 200 people. Mm -hmm. And now she's panicked. I think there's going to be a thousand and she's going to cap her limit, you know, and And so those kinds of events that create an experience for everyone, Mm -hmm. it's not just the race, the, the winners, you know, um, it, there's an expo, there's bands, there's great food, um, developing it into not just the one day event with all those festivities, yeah, but multiple also, stages exactly. that satisfy all types of riding the parade gravel. going on midweek. It's, it's all sorts of crazy stuff there. And I think that's the future sure. of cycling in this country is those kind of community events and having someone with her kind of leadership that can help support the local economy, the local trail builders. She also provides support to our Idaho uh, High School Cycling League. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually at that event and got to announce the, the launch of the Idaho League. Nice. It was a great pairing. And so people like that, that, that you know, cycling's obviously put them on a, a path in their life that has been meaningful. And they want to give that opportunity to others. We Ultimately, that's what I'm looking for. And, you know, and people like yourself that are taking this story and trying to help share across the country what cycling has enabled for you and bingo uh, it, it's it's what we're after ultimately yeah no that's exactly it that is the purpose of the podcast is cycling has provided me with with so much over my over my life especially over the past 15 years and it's telling these stories i think everybody who rides a bike has a story and especially telling those stories that help develop the sport especially here in America, but certainly worldwide as well. So Austin, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, my incredible pleasure to be able to sit down with you and uh, to share a little bit more insight on what Nike is. And uh, for folks, again, that you know want to learn a little bit more about Nike, um, please check out our website, the nationalmtv.org, and follow us on all sorts of social media at nationalmtv. And uh, you too, I think, will get excited about the effort to get more kids on bikes. No doubt. Hashtag more kids on bikes. Keep it up. Thank you very much, Austin.